Hello, Duncan Green here with your weekly roundup of posts on From Poverty to Power. It's uh, a beautiful sunny Friday afternoon. It's still daylight at 4pm, which is wonderful. It's frosty and cold uh, and I've hardly left the house all week because it's so freezing. But anyway, here we are. Um, started the week with uh, Lynx Eye Light. Um, and I put up that video, which you've probably all seen, an extraordinary video from the middle of the coup in Myanmar. Um, lots of very serious stuff to read about the coup in Myanmar. But one woman was doing her, filming her aerobic workout in the open air outside her hotel, completely unaware that there was a coup going on in the background with lots of sinister looking um, big cars driving through and all the rest of it. And of course, it got picked up. Um, millions of hits got turned into memes with Bernie Sanders and that weird cat. Um, and yeah, all good fun um, coming off the back of something really rather tragic. Um, the second post of the week was uh, about anti-corruption and, and um, as a post by Florencia Guercevich, Soledad Gattoni and Dave Algoso. And they've been looking at um, anti-corruption, successful anti-corruption um, uh, events, uh, campaigns in Guatemala, Slovakia and South Africa that were linked or created by national scandals or new yeah, changes of, of, of administration and this kind of thing. Um, they all occurred within the last five years uh, and they, the, the three of them went and talked to in-country reformers both in government and civil society to try and work out what the hell was going on. And they said, windows are moments when everything seems to be in flux and yet despite the uncertainty, we identified patterns and phases that could help people trying to develop strategies around action. Um, and the, the point is that 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 windows of opportunity have an internal structure they have a sort of status quo period before the window then a triggering phase leading to an open window where there's a period of heightened possibility for change and then they taper to a close either fast or slow so they're a bit like a sort of earthquake sort of yeah it's like one of those seismographs with an earthquake and there are five lessons takeaways from looking at these examples in guatemala slovakia and south africa first Think about a status quo phase as a period to prepare for a window. So going back to that Milton Friedman quote, you know, change is brought about on the basis of the ideas that are lying around before the crisis hits. So how do you get ready? How do you get the ideas out there lying around ready for um, uh, a window of opportunity? Second, look for how your role may need to change. So what you do in the run up to a window may be very different from what you do when the window hits. You may use different tactics, different language. So you have to be uh, flexible about that and, and adapt the way you work to the moment. Third, throughout all phases, center those who will be at the center of the window. So it's, if you're trying to you know, use it to benefit a certain group of people, when the window comes, don't shoulder them aside and say, right now, it's time for the professional campaigners. You, they've got to be in the center of events right through. Fourth, take care of each other. Windows of opportunity are also windows of stress. Highly uncertain, okay, sometimes dangerous. People work ridiculous hours um, and can get very, very stressed. So you need to think about caring for each other and looking after each other during those moments. And finally, nothing lasts forever. When you're in the middle of a window, you may think this is, you know, this is the new normal. It will end. It will taper. COVID will finish. Things will you know, go back to something more stable, whether that's the previous normal or some other normal. We don't know. But no window of opportunity lasts forever. So useful sort of general thoughts, I think, and an interesting piece. Third post of the week. Um, I've 
often wondered about, you know, there's been an enormous upsurge in campaigns on inequality. And obviously it's been Oxfam's top priority for several years now. And when I look at inequality, I think, you know, I've, I've often wondered whether it's actually an easy thing to campaign on. Because, on the, yeah, it's much easier to campaign for a school or for a new law or for something specific. Whereas inequality is everywhere and, and, and you know, it's, it's a bit sort of abstract. So I was talking to uh, Jenny Ricks from Fight Inequality Alliance and she was interested in having a post linked to the Davos meeting. So I asked her to whether she wanted to write about this. And she said she would ask some of the FIA, the Fight Inequality Alliance activists around the world. And we got some really interesting replies. Um, so let me just uh, read you through some of those replies. Um, so the, the reply from a South African activist is, look, our history shows the importance of building broad-based alliances by linking different struggles. Um, you know, anti-apartheid was a, was a combination of different struggles which came together to get rid of apartheid. So this is a natural way of working in South Africa. There was a senior sort of campaigner from Greenpeace who said, although it's easy to campaign on a specific thing, you know, ending a dirty factory or whatever Green, you know, Greenpeace is targeting at that moment, um, there's many reasons for doing these bigger, broader issues. And one of them is it turns out that the very same rules on trade, finance, debt or patents drive inequality and other key crises. So actually, you know, it's as though reality itself works on the basis of, of, of cross-cutting issues. Um, a really nice piece from Angela Taneja in, uh, from FIA in India. And I'll read this out because I thought it was a particularly nice piece. It's a mixed bag. On one level, it's easier to mobilise citizens around inequality since everyone feels that the issue is important for them. Citizens feel it in their lives. Professional activists or academics feel the issue is also important for their individual sector. The sheer starkness of the wealth gap stat repeated each year around Davos makes it easy for a large enough group of people to agree that something has to be done about it. However, this inclusiveness of the concept also means that it may be more difficult to sustain the coalition and keep mobilisation going in the longer term, especially if the intention is to change something tangible. Everyone expects this solidarity to translate into concrete action to address their own dimension, which makes it awkward at times. One just has to keep trying to balance the needs of the key constituencies of the mobilisation to ensure all manifestations receive due attention. Welcome to the world of working in coalitions. I thought that was a lovely summary of the challenges and benefits of working in these broad alliances. Daisy Mulima from FIA in Zambia said, inequality makes everyone feel part of a larger struggle. <clears throat> and that made me think, well, maybe inequality is filling the role that used to be filled with socialism, socialist utopia, you know, the workers of the world unite. Maybe this is the modern equivalent. It's something that everybody can connect with and see it as a global struggle. So very nice, thoughtful contributions from FIA activists. And I thought that was, the, the, uh, that was my favorite post of the week, I have to say. And then I finished the week with a funny, because you know it's been a hard week, uh, everybody deserves a break. And people seem to have an inexhaustible app uh, appetite to talk about language and words and I've been spotting a few new patterns I've written a lot about this over the years but I've been spotting a few new patterns about words and the word the main thing I wanted to talk about was sprinkler words so sprinkler words are those words you find scattered across the documents of aid agencies and they are basically signaling devices they signal I'm 
up to the minute, I'm up with the fashion, I'm really smart, but they have, often have no substance at all. So a few of them which are sprinkled lavishly over Oxfam documents and everywhere else. Strategic. You know, if you want to impress management, just sprinkle st strategic over your bullet points. It makes you look very smart. Empowering. Empowerment. Who's going to object to that? Sustainable. Transformative. Sometimes all of those words in the same sentence. It's almost unreadable. Very common. And I'm afraid I've been sort of partly involved in promoting a couple of them. So I think adaptive I'm now getting more and more sceptical about because you get adaptive washing. You know, everybody says, oh, we are adaptive, we are flexible, we are nimble. Um, often they really aren't, but it makes you look like you're up with the times. You know, you're thinking and working politically. But then I noticed there was another category of words, which I call camouflage words. So camouflage words are, you know, if you want to influence decision makers in a different discipline or the gatekeepers of some important institution, well, it makes sense to couch your, your, your demands in their language. And so you dress up your ideas in their language. And so, you know, if you want to talk to economists at the World Bank or somewhere else, it helps to put capital on the end of your word. So social capital, human capital, environmental capital, when really you're talking about social, human, environmental. But if you add capital, then it makes you look like, you know, you're not a dangerous liberal, you're not a lefty, uh, you're willing to try and measure things and sort of try and put an economic value on them. It's all good. Um, but similarly, you know, if you... You can just add the word economy to things. So, you know, a lot of people want to talk about politics. But actually, if you say this is a political economy question, that's a lot less scary to people. And you can get a, into a discussion with, with economists much more easily. Priors, right? Priors is just a posh word for assumptions or prejudices. But, yeah, if you say to an economist, this is against my priors, that's a totally acceptable thing to say. Whereas if you say this is against my random prejudice, it doesn't make you look good. Security is a more uh, one which is more used in the sort by humanitarians. If you want to talk to risk people, diplomats, you know, you talk about security. Third category in this um, uh, very slight piece of fluff that, that I put out last piece of the week, inappropriately macho words, right? I mean, politicians are the past masters at this. They, they you know, they try and sound as tough and, and macho as they possibly can. They roll out initiatives. Um, yeah, and all that means is they've sent someone an email. They haven't lugged some big new super tanker down the, down the slipway. Aid bosses and politicians love to leverage things. It makes them sound like Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. You know, it makes them sound like a big type, big time city hustler. Um, but there's also pseudoscience, you know, that, that, that some people, um, you know, that there's a lot of scientific words. And I was a scientist once and I take exception to some of them, which are just dropped in with only the vaguest understanding of um, uh, of what they mean. Synergies, re resilience, paradigm shift, they're all, you know, sprinkled uh, over uh, a lot of our uh, documents. Um, but actually, I found that researchers sometimes do the same thing. I was having a chat to some NGOs this week and they were saying, yeah, your document is really aggressive. You know, it uses words like interrogate and investigate. Um, which, yeah, they seem to feel that they were about to go on trial. But actually, in academia, interrogation is just a posh word for um, thinking about something, asking questions about it. Investigate is just research. But they, they actually found it very, very um, sort of uh, off-putting that, that, that we were using these kind of words. They saw disruption as something negative, whereas, of course, you know, in the NGOs, many other NGOs, um, actually, it's seen as innovation and very cool. Yeah, we're all disruptors now. So um, they pushed back. See where I'm going with that? So that was the last piece of the week.
a bit of fun on language. People always love that stuff. I put out things on Twitter, everybody chips in, and then I get a nice little post out of it. So thanks for everyone who contributed. Have a great week. Go out, enjoy the sunshine while it lasts. Uh, see you next week. Bye.